Just like many of us, just like Elijah, right after a great moment of triumph, he is fearful and he's afraid. There in verse 1, we see the Lord telling Abram, do not fear. And usually when you tell someone, do not fear or don't be afraid, it's because they're afraid, right? You see, that's the moment that you would say something like that. And for each and every one of us, have you gone through a time where you are fearful and where you're afraid? Again, we live in a nation, so much prosperity, so much uh, good things, a lot of bad things as well. But fear and anxiety plagues our nation really more than ever before in the times of Cold War or World War I, World War II, even Vietnam. Now there's more anxiety and fear than ever before. And why is that? I think it's founded right in the next part of verse 1. The Lord tells Abram, I am a shield to you and I am your very great reward. For many of us, the reasons we deal with fear, the reasons we deal with anxiety, is the Lord simply is not our shield. He is not the one, the being that protects us. And He's not our reward, our prize, the thing we look forward to at the end of the day or in summertime or when the vacation comes. We don't see the Lord as that. And it's incredible that the Lord uses these two words. And many scholars believe Abram is struggling with two things. And that's why he's fearful. The first is that he is the shepherd. This man just living out in the wilderness in tents. And he just defeated five kings and their kingdoms. That will most probably be seeking out revenge and vengeance. And they have kingdoms and taxes and ways to grow money and armies once again. And he's still going to have the same 300 guys there to fight for battle. And that's probably one of the fears going on in his heart. How am I going to deal with these guys once they heal up and grow up and come back after me? The second thing he may be fearful of or considering is at the end of chapter 14, the king of Sodom tells Abram, hey, you can take all the spoils of war. All the spoils of all these kingdoms, you can take it all, Abram. But Abram, within the spirit, within his faith and trust in the Lord, tells the king of Sodom, hey, I don't want anything from you. You can feed my men, but after that, I want nothing from you because I don't want the glory to go to you. I want the glory to go to God. And maybe he's contemplating, man, was that really a good decision? Maybe he started counting how much money it was or how big of an investment he would have made and Man, was that really the right decision we can make? And sometimes we take big steps of faith for the Lord. But then the enemy comes and then remorse comes in. Faithlessness comes in and then doubt settles in. And then you worry. We begin to worry. Man, was this the right decision? Was this the right choice? You finally take the foundations of faith classes. You finally fill out the application. Then you start serving and you think, I can't do this anymore, right? I can't handle it out there. You can't be in the parking lot another Sunday morning, right? Maybe that's what you go through. Sadly, for some people, the honeymoon comes and goes. A couple weeks go into the marriage and they think, I can't do this anymore. I can't be with them anymore. And we go through things like that. If you've ever been on a mission trip, I think at least the first two or three, you get there to wherever you're going and you think, how in the world am I going to do this? Living in a tent, I got a bucket for a shower. I can't do this. How do I get back home, right? What's going on here? But we need to remember that we can never outgive the Lord. Matthew Henry, he's famous for saying, the Lord is a debtor to no man. 
And we forget about that because the decisions we make show that we truly don't believe that. Whether it's the investment we make or don't make with our kids when it comes to the Lord compared to hobbies or school or friendships. Whether it's the investment within our own lives that we make with the Lord compared to our finances, our relaxation, and different things like that. If we truly believe that we can never outgive God, we'd be pumping as much resources as we can in there because we're going to get a great return on our investment. At the age we're starting to talk about retirement, people are telling me I should start planning, start saving now. And you want to put your money in a place where it's going to continue to grow slowly but surely. And you don't have to risk it. And if you can hear of 10% returns or 15% returns without any worries, man, everybody will be putting their money in there. But now the Lord, he is a great reward. And do we really believe that we can never outgive him? That the more we sow into the Lord and the things of the Lord, the more blessings we're going to reap the more beneficial it's going to be to us and our families. And if I'm quite honest, I don't live like that. Most of my time and resources, it goes to my laziness, my fun, my feeling better, my feeling more calm. And it may not necessarily go to the Lord and the things of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, that's turned there. A great verse to remind us we can never outgive the Lord. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it tells us, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. The Lord saying, try me, test me. That 10%, that tithe, try me that if you don't give that to me, I will not come back and bless you more than ever. You can write down Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Solomon tells us, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We can never outgive the Lord. And Abram right now, maybe he's thinking, I should have taken that deal. That was a lot of money. That was a lot of loot. What was I thinking? And the Lord here is saying, hey, forget about that money. Forget about that loot. I am more than willing to be your reward. I'm going to be the thing that never changes. It will never leave you. will never forsake you. And in the Lord, we always can find rest and enjoyment. We need to continue to go to him to be our reward. The other thing he reminded him was to be his shield. Family, what's the thing that we trust in that we feel like is going to protect us in our time of need? Is it our concealed carry permit? Is it our government? Is it our parents? Is it that we live in a gated community so that's my shield, that's my protection? Is it my family, my kids, my education, my 401k? All these things come and go, but the Lord stands true and will stand forever. And again, if the Lord never changes, we can put our trust in him and he's never going to change. He's always going to be there. But if our trust is in other things, they come and they go, whether it's in marriages, whether it's in families, whether it's in jobs, these things can move and these things can change. 
we should not be fearful. Because again, if the foundation of our lives is built on Jesus and is built on the Lord, no matter what storm may come, we can stand it. We can get through it as he is our foundation. We are told as Abram, do not fear. Do not be afraid. And throughout the Bible, we see the Lord or an angel of the Lord say, do not fear or do not be afraid to many people throughout biblical history. So if you're here and you've had someone say, hey, don't be afraid of this. Don't be fearful. We're in great company. Abram is told here, do not be afraid. Moses and the people of Israel, they were told to not be afraid. Joshua, right away when he takes on the lead for Israel, he's told to not be afraid. Gideon, as God is raising him up to lead the army of Israel and to defeat the Midianites, he's told to not be afraid. Elijah, right after the Lord brought fire from heaven and killed a bunch of prophets, God has to come to him and say, do not be afraid. Even Daniel is told to not be afraid. Joseph and Mary are told not to be afraid. Peter and the 12 disciples are told not to be afraid. And even the Apostle Paul is told, do not be afraid. And family, I think that's for each and every one of us today. We struggle with fear in different things, whether it's raising kids in this crazy world. That's something I look at. All the gender confusion, all the confusion with marriage, all the insane things that are being passed. It's a tough time to raise kids in the things of the Lord. That the anomaly is going to be a son or a daughter that's been raised with one mom and one dad their whole lives. That's going to be the anomaly in school. We live in a crazy world. Whether it's our teenagers, whether it's our marriages, our jobs. Maybe you're that person in politics and you're freaking out, right? And the Lord wants you to not fear. Put your trust and your reliance in Him. He is the one who is our shield. Let's turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, Abram is here. He's afraid David, even though he was a warrior, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he dealt with fear. There's many times in David's life where he's running for his own life, whether it's his father-in-law, the king of the country, Saul, or whether it's his own son, Absalom, and he's having to run for his life, hiding in the wilderness for safety. But in Psalm 27, verse 1 through 5, we see where he puts his hope, where he puts his reliance in these difficult times. Verse 1, the Lord is the light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. One thing have I asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple for in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. And in the secret place of his tent he will hide me and he will lift me up on a rock. How David, how a believer, what we should turn to in times of fear and times of question is to the Lord. It's to his tabernacle. That's where we can find safety. That's where we can find rest. That's where we should be meditating. Not in the bar not on social media, 
not through other vices, other addictions that take hold of us and just add more problems to the problems we already have. We need to turn to the Lord. And family, if I can be honest, at least myself, he's usually the last thing I turn to, sadly. I'll turn to my relaxation, to turn on the TV and just hang out. Maybe some Ben and Jerry's or some ice cream or something to help me feel better, right? Maybe it's that guilty food, whatever it may be for you. You got to go to the Taco Bell drive-thru to help yourself feel better. Maybe it's calling up a certain friend or doing a certain hobby. But when we exhaust all of our ideas to rest and relax, usually that's when I'm like, man, I should go read my Bible. I mean, wake up early, just go outside, leave my phone in the other room and spend some time with the Lord. And what do we find? Rest. We find rest. We find peace. May I, may we turn quicker to the Lord in those times of anxiety, in those times of fear, in those times of questions, instead of all these other vices. The Lord is our reward. We're right there. Psalm 23, verse 1. We can recite this psalm, many of us. But do we live it out? Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not desire or strive for anything. I'm not going to be lacking. The Lord is the one that's going to care for me. I don't know when was the last time you had a conversation with a sheep, right? Or with some sheep, when the last time you hung out with them, they're not worried about what they're going to eat. They're not worried about what they're going to do. Their trust is in their shepherd. Finally, on this topic of the Lord being our shield and reward, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. If you're quick, we can turn there. Very important scripture for us as believers. We're to be playing the long game. We're to know that our lives, our homes are not in this life, these 60 years or 80 years or 100 years of life. Our hope, our goal, our treasures, it's for after this life. It's after this vapor passes by this blink of an eye passes by and in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 Jesus tells us do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. We can spend so much time accumulating treasures here on earth, and so often they dissolve and they come to nothing. Many years ago, I used to uh, collect sneakers and things of that sort, and it reminded me a lot of people started collecting shoes around 1980, 85, and they would just keep these shoes in their closets protecting the shoes, keeping them in their closets for years and decades till they were worth $500 or $1,000. But then the first time they would wear them, the sole would fall apart. It would fall apart. They'd have these $1,000 shoes, $2,000 shoes. They're vintage. They're old. They put them on. They take two steps, and the whole sole would crack and fall apart. And that can be in so many different things, whether it's a house you buy, that's a lemon, or a car you buy, that's a lemon. That can be in so many things. You spend all this money on an expensive restaurant, and then the food is bad, and then the service is bad, and now you're twice as mad. Because not only was the food bad, but you spent a ton of money on the food, right? Where is our treasure in this life? Is it in the Lord and in His Word and spending time with Him and spending time with His people? Or are we looking for the next best thing? 
the next best season. This life, it's a vapor. Jim Elliott, he's famous for quoting, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Family, may we invest in heaven. May we be willing to invest in heaven. May we not be like the rich young ruler like we've been talking about these past few Sundays who went away in sorrow because he wasn't willing to give up the things of this world for the things of God's kingdom. We go back to Genesis 15. The Lord tells Abram, hey, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. I got you, man. Don't freak out. Everything's going to be okay. And then in verse 2, I love this. We see how real Abram is. He has high highs. He has low lows. He has times where he's questioning, wondering, hey, God, what's going on? Verse 2, Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. In this day and age, if you didn't have a son from your own name, your best servant or your closest servant, you would adopt. And now they would become heir to all that you have. So Abram saying, Lord, you promised me all these riches. You promised me all this family, this lineage. You told me as many kids, as many people, as the dust of the earth or sand in the world. And I have no kids yet, God. I'm 80 years old, right? I'm not getting any younger. My wife, as beautiful as she is, she's not getting any younger. It's not going to get easier to have a kid. So I guess I'm just going to have to adopt my servant and bring him in. He's saying, Lord, I'm so grateful for all that you've given me, for speaking to me, for giving me all the sheep, all the flocks, all the servants. Lord, I'm thankful you're my shield and you're my reward. But what about the promise of a family? What about the promise of a lineage? The only thing that Abram really wanted was to have that son. Lord, what good are these things if they die off with me? What good are these things if I have no one to pass them on to? And we even struggle with this today when it's so sad when families break apart, when parents break and sever their relationship with their kids or vice versa. What was the point? What was the point of accumulating all these things and my kids don't even want to talk to me? I have no one to spend these things with or spend this time with. Abram simply wanted that family. David Guzik, he says, to some degree, this question doubted God, yet we can discern the difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt that desires God's promise. Abram wanted to believe and looked to God to strengthen his faith. And family, each of us will go through this or have already gone through this, that we believe we've gotten a promise from the Lord or a covenant from God. We believe reading through his word or praying with someone that the Lord shared something with us and it hasn't happened yet. And now we're faced with two decisions. Either we deny God and his promise and we say, I didn't hear right. I was wrong. This is all fake. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm never going to church again. Or we desire God's promise and we say, Lord, I just want you. If you want to give this to me or not, Lord, I just want to spend my time with you. I want to be closer to you. I want to draw closer to you. And really, we see this with immature people and mature people. How an immature person, when they don't get their way, what happens? All sorts of crazy things happen, right? 
and they can quit. They can say, I'm done with this. As sometimes my kids, when they don't get their way, right? You promised me this, and it didn't happen, and all craziness happens. But then there's another time, another moment when something doesn't happen. You say, hey, can you help me understand this? Why isn't this happening? Why hasn't this happened yet? That's how the Lord wants us to react to him when we have questions about our faith or questions about promises that we believe that we've heard. It's not to just deny that God exists or deny that God doesn't talk to people anymore and he doesn't talk to them through his word. It's to draw even closer to him saying, Lord, can you help me to understand this? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's the way we should respond when we have questions to these promises or covenants that we're saying, Lord, what gives? Verse 4, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so your descendants shall be. Again, what was the one thing that Abram truly needed in this moment where he was questioning the promises of God? It was the word of the Lord. That's what Abram needed. He needed to hear from God. Family, that's what we need when we go through these times. And now what the Lord does is he comes and he reminds him of the promises that he's already given him. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord promised them, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And then in Genesis 13, right after him and Lot separate, the Lord tells them, all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the sand or the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. And again, imagine here, Abram, he's there, he's having his quiet time with the Lord. It's not that God appeared randomly in his room and started talking with him or anything like that. He's hearing from the Lord. He's hearing the word of the Lord in his tent, in the privacy of his room. And now the Lord says, hey, come on, let's go outside. And hopefully you've been able to see the night sky outside of Miami. If you haven't, I hope that you're able to. Whether it's out on the ocean or whether it's out in the woods, maybe in the Everglades, on some mountain. And when you look up into the heavens, it's incredible what you're able to see with no smog and with no city lights, right? It's incredible. And for Abram to be there, 80 years old, he has no son, and got to say, you see all the stars up there? Can you count them? Nah, you probably can't count them. But do you see all the stars up there? You're going to have one descendant for every single one of those stars. And again, that must blow Abram's mind. He can't handle that. He can't quantify that or add up the math to see how that can work out. And even God's certainty telling him, hey, someone from your own body is going to come out. We can take that as this is going to happen like in nine months. This is going to happen within a year. This is going to happen instantly. But... Isaac wouldn't be born for another 15 years. The promise wouldn't be met for another 15 years of Abram's ups and downs and the Lord allowing him to rest and rely more on God. And for each and every one of us, have you been there? Or you feel that you have a promise from the Lord or you've heard from God and Lord has been two hours, what's going on, right? It's been a week, nothing's happening. God has been a year, what's going on? We fail to remember, at least me, maybe not you guys, God's promises take time. 
Usually a long time, right? Abram here is 15 years after he's reminded. We can think of Moses. He goes out. He thinks he's going to save all of Israel. He royally messes up. And then he's in the wilderness for 40 years before he can come back and the Lord begin to work in him. God's promises take time. Because if not, if we're honest, we're just seeking God like a genie. Like some sort of vending machine. Lord, I need this promise. Boop, put in my 75 cents, press A5 and get my Snickers bar, right? That's how it works, right, Lord? You give me this promise, I'm good for a day and it happens right away. But it takes time. It takes time for these promises to truly happen. The second thing is that so often we misinterpret God's promises if we're honest with ourselves. Abram here, he misinterpreted God's promise. He said, okay, you're promising me all these people. I have no son. So your promise is going to have to be through Eliezer. I'm going to have to adopt him, and then he'll become my heir, and he's going to be the, the, I guess, son of the faith. But God's telling him, no, it's going to be one from your own body. And family, have we not been there where we misinterpret God's promises? God said she's going to be the one. No, God said she's going to be the one. No, God said she's going to be the one. No, that's not how it works, right? The Lord told me to move here and then move there and then move here, right? This job is the one that God has for me. And we can force God into these boxes where he has no business being because like Abram, having no son, being promised you'd have as many descendants as stars in the sky, it will blow our minds. We can't understand it. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. It tells us, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Again, this reminds us God is not a debtor to no man. The Lord doesn't forget and doesn't, oh man, that's right, that person served me for five years. I totally forgot about that. No, the Lord sees everything. He also sees the heart behind our service. If we're serving him with a heart as this is a stepladder to get somewhere or to get something, or if it's truly a heart that, man, I just love the Lord and I want to serve him, whether it's cleaning toilets or doing parking lot or doing worship or serving within a ministry, Lord, I just want to show you that I love you. Verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. So as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made the promises to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so... Having, we don't like this word, right? Patiently waited, he obtained the promise. It takes patience, guys. It takes diligence. This walk with the Lord, this race with the Lord, it's not a hundred meter dash. It's not even a mile run. It's that super crazy long seven day Ironman, right? That there's no stopping, and it's just running and running and running. And it's sometimes seeing who survives the best, right? That's what our walk is like with the Lord. It's day in and day out. And it's tough, but it's so worth it. But the tough reality is we can quickly 
blow it all. We can quickly blow it all. We can be walking with the Lord for five years, ten years, and we'll never just blow our salvation out of the water where the Lord's saying, hey, I can't restore you. I can't use you anymore. You're done for forever. But we can blow a lot of hard years of service and work. Even just like a marriage, right? A marriage can be going great for five years, 10 years, 20 years. And then all of a sudden you throw in a bunch of lies and adultery and cheating and money moving around. And it can just break. It's day in and day out, little by little, slowly but surely growing with the Lord. It's not this microwave mentality or the vending machine mentality. We need to have diligence. And what does it tell us in verse 12? We need to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, right? What a short book on God. How do you attain God's promises? Faith and patience. It's trusting the Lord and being patient, walking with him, not being patient, two-timing him, not patient going to the world and then coming back saying, Lord, why hasn't this happened? But I'm going to go back to the world and God, why is this taking so long? No, it's patience through him. Day in and day out, trusting in the Lord. That's how we can grow in these promises. That's how we can see these promises realized. Uh, we can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Again, the second part of this, how many times, quite often, the Lord's promises would blow our minds and we would not be able to understand it. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll actually start in verse 17 through verse 21. And it tells us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That our God has plans that are exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. But getting the full context, what are they rooted and grounded in? His love. It's all in his love and growing in his love. Learning new layers of his love. Listening to a couple of teachings about heaven. Heaven's going to be incredible. But if you think about it, imagine living in the exact same place for one year, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 100 years. It'd be mundane or boring. But yet heaven, each and every new day, we're going to be learning new things about the Lord. New depths of his love, new layers of his grace, new layers of his mercy. And it's the same thing for us in this life. Every day, every year, we should be learning and growing in his love. But his promises for us, many times we can't handle it. Have you ever had a prayer that you're glad the Lord did not answer? Right? Lord, I, this girl has to be the one. And then it breaks apart and you're falling and crying. And then a couple years later... Lord, thank you. Thank you that she wasn't the one. Thank you that she wasn't the one, right? Lord, I want that house. I need that house. And then a couple years later, woof, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you didn't answer that prayer. A couple days ago, we surprised the kids and uh, we took them to Disney World. And my wife likes to ask them, hey, I, we have a surprise for you. Can you guess what it is? And it's so funny. Their guess like, we're going to Nono's house? 
We're going to get ice cream. We're going to the movies, right? Their ideas of what the surprise is going to be is down here. But the promise, the blessing that the parents have, it's way up here. And it's the same thing with us and the Lord. That we think, Lord, if you would just give me this little thing, I would be so happy. I would be so blessed. And the Lord says, no, I have all this for you. But you have to be patient. You have to be diligent. You have to wait till you grow with me to a certain point where I can bless you and entrust you with these things. And you won't crash it, right? Just like kids with driving, maybe not in Miami, but man, with us in driving, right? You don't give that Lamborghini right away when they get the restricted. You got to wait a bit, right? Or you don't give them a Lamborghini ever, right? But it takes time. You don't say, hey, you're 12 years old. Yeah, go take the car. Have fun. Enjoy it. I want to bless you, right? No, you'll get arrested. Child services will be knocking on your door. I just wanted to bless them. What are you talking about? No, right? We have to wait till they grow to a certain level of maturity. And lots of times that's us with the Lord. We have to grow to a certain level before the Lord can give us more blessings. Because what Abraham is going to see now, what we're going to see is it's all based on faith. It's not based on the work that Abram put in. It wasn't that he clocked in a certain amount of years in the wilderness going from Ur to Canaan. It's all by faith. We've done nothing to deserve this. He has done Everything. He has done all the work. But let's turn back to Genesis chapter 15. So again, imagine Abram. He's there. He's struggling in his tent. The Lord comes to him. Hey, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Hey, let's go outside. Try to count those stars, man. That's how many kids you're going to have. Abram, he doesn't even have a son yet or a daughter. He's 80 years old. But verse 6, what does he do? Then he believed in the Lord And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram just believed in the Lord. All right, God, that's what you're saying? All right. I believe you. I trust you. I believe in who you are. And that's truly what's going on here. It's not that Abram believes in the Lord or that that he exists or that he's one of the gods. He believes, Lord, you are God. You are everything and nothing is above your pay grade. Nothing is greater than you or impossible with you. The word believe here is a belief that is resting all its weight on something, right? You think of putting all your eggs in one basket in a sense. You trust this with everything you have. Even the blue chair is here today, right? We didn't see anybody coming in with a couple 45-pound plates and put one plate on the chair, take a step back, look at it. All right, it can do 45. We put another one, 90. Okay, it can handle 90. Okay, we keep adding plates. All right, now it's my weight. I can trust the blue chair. Let me put all my weight on it. Let me trust this chair. No, you guys sat down. It's the same thing with the Lord. We need to put all our trust in him. All of the weight, and it's not just in him, but it's in his word and in what his word says, the blessings that his word says, the curses that his word says. That when we go to sin, it leads us to death. That when we go to him, it leads us to life. It's believing those things, not just that his word says it, but now our lives showing that we really believe it. Our lives changing, revealing that this is truly what we believe in the pit of our bellies is that this word is true. This word is real. And when I live by it, I'm blessed. And when I don't live by it, my life's a mess and it's hurt and it's broken. Do we really believe that? It will change our lives. It's going to change our decisions. It's going to change where we put, again, our treasure or our trust in. 
But this verse 6 is mentioned four times in the New Testament. And it's really one of the cornerstones or building blocks, if you would, of what salvation looks like. It's all through faith. It's not through works. It's not through a certain amount of years at Calvary, Miami, and now you're gifted your salvation certificate, right? It's not a certain amount of things that you've done for the Lord. I've gone through uh, two mission trips, three douloses. I've served in kids' ministry for five years. Oh, wow, five years? Okay, right? And the Lord's marking all these things down. It's all through faith. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. When you go home, man, read the whole chapter. So many good things here about our salvation, our relationship with God. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 24, It tells us, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead, he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Giving glory to the Lord and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Family, it's the same thing for us. That word accounted or reckoned or credited, we're talking about accounting terms. We're talking about math terms. That when we put our faith in God, not just believing that he exists or that he's out there, but we're staking our lives, our trust, our decision making based upon what this book says. Now the Lord in his heavenly calculator calculates this person is now righteous. And the reason why is because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, in the Lord, that Jesus came perfectly, died, taking our place, and now he's resurrected, our righteousness is not ours. But instead, we we get the righteousness of Christ put on us. Now what God sees is the blood of the Lamb. And now we're seen as perfect. It's through faith. We will never be able to do anything to deserve this calculation or this count. It's all through the grace of God. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. It tells us, So then does he who provides you with the Spirit... And works miracles among you. Do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All the nations of the world will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. That's how we become a part of the family of God. The family of Abraham is when we have faith in God. It's not by our works. It's not by our merit. And many of us say, yeah, I believe that. It's all through faith. It's all through trust. Yes, it's all God. Until we believe we deserve something and we don't get it. That's when we begin losing track of this. Or we see somebody else growing in the church and we say, what? They got that? I've been here this long? I'm the one that deserves that. You're losing. You're losing the faith aspect. 
You're losing the aspect that we have done nothing to deserve this salvation. When you see somebody else forgiven, don't you know all the things that person has done? You're forgetting that it's through faith. That is through the Lord and only the Lord. When really in our heart, what we believe is, I'm better than that person. I deserve heaven more than that other person because I have behaved better than that other person. But we forget everybody deserves hell. Every single person deserves hell. It's an open scale. Every single person that has ever lived in this world, except for Jesus, deserves hell. So, man, we're all on the same page. It's not you have done more than I have. No, we all deserve hell. It's all through faith. It's all through the grace of God. We have a debt that we can never pay. And that's why Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, to take our place. Abraham believed in the Lord not only the promise or his own working, right? There wasn't any mirrors in this time, but Abraham, in a sense, looks in the mirror Sees how old he is, says, there's nothing I can do in my own work. There's no pills I can take, no medicine, no special herbal teas that I can take to make this happen at 80 years of age. Lord, I trust in you. It's all on you. The faith that reckoned Abraham as righteous wasn't believing in God or believing that he exists. It was believing God. Let's turn to James chapter 2. We can hear that and say, man, you're just saying the same thing over and over again, right? It's not believing in God, but it's believing in God or believing God. What in the world is the difference? James chapter 2, verse 19, right? And there's many people who believe in God. There's many pagan people who believe in God or talk about Jesus or talk about scriptures, right? Many people in Hollywood, many people in music, many people that... The word says in one mouth and one breath they're praising the Lord and in another mouth, another breath, they're saying all sorts of atrocities and craziness. James chapter 2 verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abram our father also justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called, and what a great title, the friend of God. It's not just saying, hey, I'm a Christian or I believe in God or I go to church. It's our life, our decision making, the things we're investing our time in, showing and proving that you believe in God. And we don't do that to show, hey, God, here's my card that I deserve into heaven. No, I don't deserve heaven, but I love him, so I want to invest in him. I believe this is the truth, so I'm going to live by this. I'm going to believe that it's good to be amongst believers, so I'm going to be at church more often. I believe that sin results in death. So I'm not going to just mess around with sin or go out on the weekends and then come to church on Sunday. I believe any and all sin leads to death. So I'm not going to mess around with it. I'm not going to play around with it. That's the type of belief in God that is accredited as righteousness, family. It's not just believing that he exists. It's not just believing that Jesus is a good prophet or that the Bible is a good book. It's believing he is the only way into heaven. 
It's believing that wide is the gate that leads to hell and narrow is the gate that leads into heaven. It's believing in those things that it's accredited to us as righteousness. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 verse 7. We'll read verse 7 through 11. This may sound a little crazy, but it's a little simple. Uh, Verse 7, it says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Right? His Christmas wish list. And verse 10. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two. What? And he laid each half opposite of the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. This may seem like a crazy ritual or way out of left field. If you're part of PETA, I'm sorry. Um, But here... What's going on is instead of having a 20-page contract that you would have five signatures on and three initials and your attorney and then getting it notarized and then going back and forth, instead of that type of contract, this was the contract in ancient days. They'd take a bunch of animals, animals that costed a lot of money, animals that that was their, their well-being, their food, their everything. They would take them, cut them in half, and then whoever was making the promise would walk in between all the animals. In the sense saying, if I don't keep my promise, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Right? People wouldn't be breaching their contracts as much if this is how we signed documents. But this is what was happening. So we see Abram, he gets all these animals, he cuts them in half. The birds of prey are coming, saying, man, what's going on here? But now let's continue reading. Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Again, our Bible is so incredible. Hundreds of years beforehand, God is promising Abraham, not only are you going to have a son and kids and descendants, but your descendants are going to go through a tough time, right? It talks about darkness and terror. Your descendants, they're going to be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Again, if I'm Abraham, my mind is being blown here. But your descendants, they're going to go through difficult times, but it's in my plan. Why? They're going to come out. They're going to come out. They're going to come out with all the possessions of Egypt. And the Lord is going to continue to do a work through the people of Israel. God, couldn't you have done it an easier way or a less stressful way? Yeah. But then we wouldn't have the Red Sea being split into. We wouldn't have manna falling from heaven. We wouldn't have all the miracles that we get throughout the Old Testament. Verse 17. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces and on that day the lord made a covenant with abram saying to your descendants i have given this land from the river egypt as far as the great river 
the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Cadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. So again, as we spoke, this covenant, these promises, you'd cut them in half, and then whoever was making the promise would walk through the middle. Many times both parties would walk through the middle. But who do we see here walking through the middle? It's the Lord, right? It's talking about smoke and fire. How did the Lord lead the people of Israel? Pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And the Lord is the one making the promise. It's not Abraham. The Lord doesn't even say, Abraham, you have to walk through this promise with me. Why does the Lord not do that? Because then Abraham would be dead in the next chapter. Abraham blows it in the next chapter. And family, this is salvation. This is the gospel. It's not based on our merit. It's not the Lord holding us to now. Hey, you have to live perfectly and you can never mess up. If not, I'm going to have to slice you in two. It's all the Lord. It's all the Lord saying, try me, try me. Will you not see that I'm never going to let you down? I'm not going to drop you. Will you not invest more time with your family at church instead of your hobbies? Will you not invest more of your money in church instead of these things? Will you not be willing to give up these hobbies or these addictions to follow me more? Test me, right? We read that in Malachi chapter 3. Test me and see if I will not open the doors of heaven and pour out blessing upon you. Family, it's the same thing for us. There's a sacrifice in following the Lord. There's a sacrifice in salvation. We're supposed to be living differently than this world, acting differently than this world. Throughout the New Testament, it warns us people are going to come against us, our own families, our own government, our own friends. But Jesus says, man, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my sake. So again, we've read a lot. We've gone through a lot. What are you going through today? Are you fearful? Has your shield, has your reward been in broken things, false things? Are you walking with the Lord right now? Are you like Abram, walking with the Lord, being blown away? Lord, I don't understand this. What's going on? But Lord, help me to understand. 